and welcome back to Cottonmouth Manchester, the podcast brought to you by CityCo, the city centre management company for Manchester and Salford, and to our continuing series, Life in a Time of Coronavirus. Today I'm talking to Simon Binns, the editor of Lab Bible. He's worked for pretty well every media establishment in the city and worked for CityCo for a number of years as well as our bid manager. Recently he's been editor of Lab Bible and was privileged, if that's the right word, to take part in a recent government question time, creating an awful stir on Twitter, invites from Piers Morgan to appear to justify why Lab Bible should be in such exalted company, and many other things which we'll talk about. We'll also be talking about how Lab Bible's been changing to this time of coronavirus, um, what its readership is like, and what its plans for the future are. If you've got any suggestions for future people to interview, please get in contact. I'm on Twitter, at CottonmouthMCR. Thank you for joining us, Simon. I think we're recording. We are recording. Wonderfully professional, that is, making sure that the recordings work. Um, So let's start more broadly with Lad Bible before we get onto the specifics of of government questions and chairs to be used in such circumstances. (laughs) Um, How's the virus affected Lad Bible? Uh, What's happening to your readership? Um, What's happening to your staff as well? Yeah, so I I suppose um, not much, really. I, I suppose our industry becomes as important, more important than ever. And actually, I suppose our audience has um, has gone up. So we kind of work in quarters, really, I suppose, in terms of measuring audience and various other bits and bobs. We The lockdown kind of happened two-thirds of the way through the first quarter, really. So you think, OK, the first two months have been good. Are we going to see a drop-off in the third month? Not at all, actually. It kind of went up because I think... Um, I think audiences need you more than ever, actually, really. There's, there's, there's the practical thing, I suppose, in that, well, people are going to be spending more time on social media now anyway because they'll be at home. They want to consume um, content. They want to consume news, but also they want stuff that's going to distract them. They just kind of want more of it, I suppose. So what we were seeing was the stuff that we were doing about coronavirus was performing really, really well, and it was a it was a really good mix of. Um, so we worked with the World Health Organization on a strand called Cutting Through, which was we're just going to tell you the facts about this, and we're not going to recommend that you do anything one way or the other. We're just going to lay the facts out for you, as said by the experts. And they did really, really well. And we read a nice piece written about us in the drum, which was very nice, and some media commentators said very nice things about us. What we what we really stayed away from, what we consciously stayed away from, was just whipping up panic, I suppose, or what might happen or what we think is going on in this country or just to knock out a headline, really. Um, Can we just take a step back a bit, actually? Because one of the things that I think is really interesting um, with you guys and with a lot of your peers is this change, and I think this probably leads up to being allowed to ask questions at, at major political events or whatever, is... Do us a bit of the backstory of Lab Bible. Um, how long you've been around, and and that that transformation, gradual change from we're just going to do viral videos or we're just going to do things that for clicks into actually starting to do because we're seeing a very similar thing. You know, BuzzFeed, um, you know, four years ago was about listicles. It was not about serious political comment. But BuzzFeed actually does, and I, was it Jim Mortison that was that was there for a while? I think does serious did serious political comment. Still does. Teen Vogue covering the last American election was probably the only sensible 
people covering it and they were doing some really in-depth and really interesting interesting stuff so talk us through that part of that of that change and how deliberate it was how much you had to take an audience with you on that path yeah it was certainly deliberate i think there was always an understanding that well as as the brand grows up the audience grows with it and as and as the scale of audience grows you have um you have a responsibility Supposed that you know, with great social power comes great social responsibilities. <laughs> as as someone often, once said, <laughs> yeah, as, as as someone once said, but we kind of adapted it, and it, it holds true. I think for us, you, you know, it, it can't just be about the numbers because, okay, so on our Facebook page, we've got thirty-eight million, and so what? What's what's enough? Fifty million, a hundred million, three hundred million? It's not really about the number; it's about what you do with it. So the content that we I mean, we can knock out any old content and probably do numbers, but what's our audience want? Because actually, we need to keep the audience engaged. If they stick with us, the brand will do fine. If, if we suddenly start doing stuff they don't care about, it doesn't really matter what we think the brand means because if we don't give the audience the mix of content they want or tell it to them in, in the way they want, it doesn't really matter. And you see it, I suppose, with... This is where good local regional journalism has come into its own as well because, I suppose, like us, there's that audience understanding there they trust you we trust them we know what they want to know about and we know the way they they understand it we know what they care about and if you continue to reflect that your audience will stick with you Uh, you know a social audience is very quick to tell you what they think of you if you're not doing it the right way so but yeah brands evolve i think i've been there two years now and I suppose if, you, if I look back at the last two years, when you look back week on week, it doesn't seem like there's a particular change. When I look back at the last two years, I think we've come an awful long way. The, the kind of content that we do, there's more original content. Um, the the areas that we that we look at in terms of some of the original content um, are kind of their slices of life, really, that sometimes relate to our audience and and they can contribute to it. Sometimes it's something they might half know about, but they want to know more. Sometimes, sometimes it's something they know nothing about, and they're, they're keen to understand the world around them. So I think that's what we always try and do. We try and be that kind of like a mate in the pub, really. You know, kind of you never want to go to the pub with someone who's just always serious or always messing about or always half interested or always kind of half opinions about something we try and kind of we try and walk that line of like well we'll tell you the serious stuff because you need to know it we'll give you some fun stuff and make you feel good about the world around you and we'll also kind of make you think about something that you probably didn't think about cool so how much within that when you're talking about then having to give the facts around the virus particularly Mm. so you're talking about uh, working with world world health organization then when you're looking at sort of the political landscape, how the government is is reacting, um, what's your angle on that? Are you are you are you sort of trying to interrogate it, be semi-critical around it, or are you still taking a role of, of just trying to pass on the facts? I think there's a little bit of both, actually. I think I think that's for me that's the responsible way to go about it. You, you know, we we represent such a large community. I mean, you know, 39 million. What's that population of Italy, probably? So. We're kind of mobilising quite a large group of people. We can't tell them what to do. It's not for us to tell them what to do. All we can do is kind of is show them what people are saying should be done, could be done, what's, you know, 
what's going to protect them and their friends and their family, that's important. That's really, really important. Is the government of this country looking after you? That's also important. And, and, and we, can, we can ask questions of both of those things equally, I think. I think we have a responsibility to do that because all we're doing really is, is kind of giving a voice to the audience. And, and at, at that size, at, at 38, 39 million, whatever, everybody is in there. But, you know, we often have conversations about, oh, what's your audience? It's everyone. At that level, it's everyone. It's 55% male, 45% female, uh, key age range, 18 to 50. I mean, that's a fairly good spread. So every political persuasion is in there. Geographical spread is in there. 80% of the audience is UK-based. So in terms of hobbies and interests, um, opinions and beliefs, it's a pretty broad church. So all we can do is kind of try and try and refine it down to here's the important stuff and, and you'll kind of make your own decisions off that. Really. So though when you ask the question at the uh, ministerial questions, it, the reaction it got on Twitter was as though you're just parachuted in from Mars. But actually yeah. what you're suggesting is this, is this is the result of quite a long piece of work. You'd presumably been to briefings and been to lots of questions before and had lots of conversations at quite high levels with uh, people yeah. working at the Commons, people working at police, whatever. We've had a line into government for a long time. This is, yeah. this is nothing new, you know, to various government departments. And, and we've worked with them um, as partners on, on various bits of, of content, I suppose. Um, me personally, I mean, you know, you've known me for like, what, 15 years? So I'm, I've, I've done all right as a journalist, I suppose, over that time. I've interviewed some pretty important and powerful people. It's, to me, it was just another, it's just asking a question. That's kind of my job. It was interested in the reaction that it kind of it came across a little bit like I was a plumber it just like won a, won a raffle and being allowed to it's like, I it's like yeah it was like those Blue Peter uh, awards where you, yeah, you no, get invited to speak to a celebrity yeah I was I suppose was I surprised that everyone was surprised um, maybe a little bit I think I think it I think it speaks to that kind of that media bubble a little bit because actually a lot of people weren't surprised a lot of people who are audience or who just you know who just who just consume content through social media and other places weren't vastly surprised. I think a lot of people whose view of the media is perhaps embedded from being within it for a long time, they were surprised, but then they would be, wouldn't they? So what was the process? Did they approach you or was it just you you were waiting for a slot to join in sort of thing? Yeah, this is the thing. I mean, I've I've been asked a lot over the last 20 years of doing this job. How did you get that? Quite often, the answer, the answer is just, well, I just asked. I just asked if I could. <laughs> so, so I came up on Thursday, the press office, and went, right, can we, can we get on the road? Here's our audience figures. Here's our demographic. Here's kind of, you know, you know what we do anyway because we, we speak too often. Uh, and I went, okay, sound. Uh, we'll get back to you. And then I got a call on Saturday morning saying, do you want to be on the panel today? Which was great because the, the, the kind of the question that I wanted to ask was very much geared around policing. And domestic security anyway. So to have Home Secretary and MPCC on that panel just fell just fell nicely, really. And um, yeah, you know, we, we may do it again. I don't know. We may do it again. Uh, and just from a technical point of view, how well does the uh, dialing in and all of that sort of stuff work? Because you never get the impression that that's no, going particularly well. But. It's a Zoom call. Yeah, there's someone uh, there's someone in uh, Downing Street. They've got a laptop. I've got a laptop, uh, and. And then we just we do it like we're doing this just via Zoom. I mean, this is the good thing, I suppose. 
you do wonder if it's going to change the way that these things happen in the future anyway, because actually I think people have had to get a lot more comfortable with tech over the last few weeks. And um, it works pretty well. I mean, it's, I don't know, you perhaps don't feel the pressure of being in that room up close and personal, but it kind of gives you the freedom to deliver a tough question because you're just talking to your laptop, really. So you're kind of freed by that. So if somebody bursts into tears, you can just switch over. Look, I've been to the US where, where journalists are still getting up close and personal to Trump. It's not going very well at yeah. the moment, it's fair to say. So I think as long as both sides have respect for each other, the tech setup is neither here nor there, really. Do you think, um, I mean, I think one of the really interesting things that's come out of this over the last few weeks, the opinion surveys, is the media or the traditional media have been taking a real kicking in terms of um, people's feeling of trustworthiness. And I think a lot of that, because the people reporting tend to be lobby journalists and tend to be people that are within, I hate, I hate the term Westminster bubble, but they are within that bubble a lot of the time. Um, I mean, I think personally, I think Beston has been doing an appalling job but um playing in, in fairly do you do you think they are they've been put in a difficult position because of that change in tech as much as anything else that there, there has been a gradual democratization and access for a lot of, lot more other people possibly i think um i, I suppose there's always they're in the game of, of playing for ratings aren't they as we all are, really, playing for audience and playing for headlines, I suppose. Um, I've never really noticed it too much. And I haven't paid attention to it too much until I knew I was going to do the briefing and I kind of just looked back at reaction. And yeah, I mean, there has been quite a lot of criticism, but then I suppose it's when I started paying more attention to the kind of questions that were getting asked, there is a tendency often um, to just ask a question geared around a headline that you think is already written. Yeah. So, will you apologise for this? Or do you accept that this will happen? Or And it's like, well, you, you're trying to load words into people's mouths to, to suit a headline that you want to write. And if that's the way you want to do things, fine. It's not the way I want to do things. I would much rather ask a question with a quantifiable answer and whatever whatever number or name or, or fact is put in front of me. That's interesting. That has value, hopefully. that's And that's, why we, that's how we approached it. I was really keen to kind of, to understand the quantitative value of the measures that the police had been allowed to put in place based on new laws. I wanted to know, well, how many people have you arrested? How many people have you fined? What's the outstanding value of the fines? Because, of course, there will always be an issue of getting the money in. If we know nothing about parking tickets, it's that most of them go unpaid. So how much of a deterrent? are these powers that was that was very much the kind of the angle of our question and, and so it was nice that people thought it was a good question you know um i didn't really have a headline in mind when i went into it well we were just interested i suppose and we'd done a bit of research through the week we'd called six or seven big police forces and none of them wanted to share those numbers um which seemed curious to me greater manchester police put theirs out none of the other forces wanted to which which didn't seem which didn't seem like a logical or coordinated approach, really. But so it gave us a good opportunity to go in and try and get something fairly concrete out of out of the right people, out of the Home Secretary and and the person who sits atop the um, the MPCC. What's been the reaction from your usual readers as opposed to the general Twitterati? And obviously, Piers Morgan was shocked and horrified. Yeah, well, great, you know. And it's that thing again, isn't it? It's like I suppose our readers are 
they're multifaceted, aren't they? Just just like most people are. They just because they 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 want to know about you know a new variety of Percy Pig ice cream, which was very big yesterday. Um, doesn't mean they're not interested in politics. Like the interests aren't mutually exclusive. And I, I never I, I never really understand this view from from kind of uh, occasionally from media commentators or audiences because you write about one thing. You can't possibly write about another. It's like, well, everyone I know is interested in politics and the world around them, but they also want to know about stuff to do in the outside world or what to watch on Netflix or, you know, a new burger coming out at McDonald's or whatever it might be. And you need that mix. So the direction has been really good. Um, I think it, hopefully, it opens a few eyes to the work we've been doing across the last couple of years in terms of, and if, if it makes people interested in and surprised by our content and they go and look for it that's great because they'll kind of get to see the kind of stuff that we do it's very easy i suppose just to um to think you know what a brand does based on what you last saw it do two or three years ago but and, 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 you know and, and i suppose i get it because it, in the media there are so many brands fighting for your attention there's audience and, and the stage is the size of your mobile phone and, it, and a lot of it is so collated for your interests often you won't see you won't see a diverse mix of content you will just see what's personalized for you because that's that's the way aggregation is going what i know about our audience is that they're incredibly loyal they're incredibly engaged and they really appreciate the mix of content that we do for them and then what are you actually looking at now in terms of the virus what are the things that are interesting you in either in terms of public policy or in, or in terms of health generally? yeah i'm kind of interested now on on on, on the other side of it i suppose i, I I wouldn't want to start putting things out there about when it ends because I don't think that's for us to say and I don't think it's for us to give people false hope around dates. Again, like, well, we're led by what people are saying, but it's, it's you know, I'm very interested in things around um, testing. The government has talked a lot about testing and they've set a target for themselves by the end of this month. So, okay, are we going to get there? When testing increases, what will that do to the numbers? What will that do to the policy around um, the gradual reopening of business or people being allowed out again, you know, airlines are already starting to release holidays and, and talk about booking. I'm really interested. I've got friends in Spain and I've got family in France. They're a few weeks ahead of us. So we're always kind of looking as to what's going on in, in other places really to try and get an understanding. But yeah, still talking to the WHO um, and just trying to just try to cut through the noise. And there is so much noise around this, I suppose. And, and, and but always being conscious of well, what does it mean for our audience and, and what they want to know really I suppose is can I go on holiday can I see my family it, all the stuff I want to do in the next six months can I still do it so big events like the Euros and the Olympics and music festivals and what does it mean for what does it mean for the stuff that I want to do so as long as we continue to reflect that similar to Brexit really when we covered Brexit um, and we did we you cover off the big top line stuff that your audience care about. The vast majority of people don't care about a backstop. They don't know what it is. They don't know what it is because no one ever explains it. It was the it was the one word that I heard the most by every journalist in Brexit coverage. Not one of them explained what it was ever, and that seems crazy to me. If you're not going to explain to your audience what a thing is, why would you just bombard them with it? It seems odd to me. And finally. Almost as famous and almost as controversial as actually being there and asking the question yourself was, of course, the chair you used. <laughs> chair so how did you make that decision? 
It was the and, only and do you feel that it should now have its own YouTube channel or whatever? Honestly, I am considering getting it in ageing because it has have lots of interest. Um, <laughs> I, it cost me nothing, actually. I swapped it for a bottle of vodka uh, from someone that I used to work with who was going to throw it out. They brought it into the office. I was like, what's that chair? What, are you selling that? He was like, oh, no, I'm going to tip it. I was like, <laughs> don't do that. Uh, I'll have it. What do you want for it? Oh, just get us a, I don't know, just get us a bottle of vodka. So I did. I feel bad now because it's, you know, that bottle of vodka. famous chair. Value. However, it was, the, and you know what it's like, it was the only part of my house that had a bit of oil behind it that was vaguely presentable. So I, go, I kind of walk around the house for about an hour going, right, now there's a picture on there and oh, we need to paint that bit of wall. That's not quite right. And so, yeah, so it was the chair, really. But there you go. At least I'm the shop. Hopefully we'll see the chair again. Oh, the chair, after, well, by popular demand, I think, if, if we get another go, <laughs> I kind of owe it to the chair, I think. Yeah, and then maybe, you know, at the end of it all, you sell the chair on eBay for, for NHS charity or something. Well, yeah, I'm sure my presence in the chair will have an extra 50p. Absolutely. It's a very nice chair on the last. Thank you very much, Simon. Thank you. Thanks, Paul.